I mean, I basically grew up with him, and he grew up with me. Anakin and him had, had a different type of bond. They would just hang out together like two old men. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times, or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 21 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and perhaps better known as Dog Mom to Penny and Nino. Today, we're going to be talking to Carla and Wayne Greenside of Plymouth, Massachusetts. Carla reached out to me recently with a really sweet story that when I heard, I knew I wanted to share with you. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite parts of social media is being able to look at animal photos and videos when I'm having a hard day. And to me, there is really nothing better than interspecies friendships. I am just a sucker for any kind of like, you know, cat that adopts puppies or any kind of like, you know, this duck has a best friend that's a fox or I don't know if that would actually happen, but you know what I'm saying. If there is some kind of headline about click here to see photos of this adorable, unlikely animal friendship, I am totally going to click every time. That is like total and utter clickbait for me. (laughs) So when I heard that Carla and Wayne had a story about a horse who was best friends with their Swiss mountain dog for over 10 years, that definitely got my attention. Carla and Wayne will be sharing with us the story of Paddington the Morgan horse and Zurich the Swiss mountain dog, who became friends on the first day that they met each other and spent 10 years romping in the snow and chasing each other in the grass and eating food out of the same bowl. We'll also hear some of Carla and Wayne's background with animals and how they grew up, how Carla and Wayne met each other, and the stories of how Paddington and Zurich each came into their lives. We also talk about some of the harder parts of being a pet owner, like the unexpected medical journeys that we go in with our pets and making end of life and quality of life decisions and then trying to move on and start a new chapter when maybe you weren't quite ready for that old chapter to end. But I think what really stands out to me most of all is just that this is a story of love and the bonds that we have with our animals and the story of love and the bonds that our animals can have with each other. So let's get started with Carla and Wayne Greenside. Hi, Carla. Hi, Wayne. Hi, how are you? Hello. Thank you so much for being here with me today. You guys had reached out to me with a really adorable story that I wanted to hear more about. But before we get started talking about Paddington and Zurich, I always like to start asking about people's childhood experiences with animals. For instance, I didn't even know that I was a dog person until I was 25 years old. (laughs) And so I'm always curious if people grew up with animals or whether it was something that came to them later in life. 
So Carla, let's start with you. Were you an animal person growing up? So I always have liked animals ever since I was little. And I started taking riding lessons, I think, probably when I was around six and got my first pony when I was nine years old. Oh, my gosh. You were the kid who actually got the pony? I did. Jordy was a pony that we knew the family. They lived in Maine, and we went up one weekend to spend the weekend with them, and they said to me, how much money do you have in your piggy bank? And I said, a dollar twenty-nine, and that's what they sold me Jody for a dollar twenty-nine. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then she came and lived to our house. We had her at home and she was the start of many, many, many horses. Of course they all cost more than a dollar twenty-nine. Yeah, I can imagine. But she was the start of it all. Well that is a wonderful story. I when I was a kid I, I did like horses. I think I read all of those Misty of Chinkatink books and thought that I should try to ride horses, but it didn't exactly work out for me. So Wayne, how about you? Did you grow up with animals? Actually I did. Uh I grew up in the city of Boston as a child and we lived in an apartment and we had uh, cats. But we also had dogs. My mother was a big fan of collies. Remember Lassie, from Lassie the uh Holly dog that saved everybody and rescued everyone. And we had one uh, that we got, and I was probably about maybe three or four years old. It was a female named Tippy, and she was a beautiful collie, and she lived a long life, so about 11 or 12. And um, partway through her life, we ended up with another collie. Uh, we called her Sandy, and we had the two of them together. And we lived in one of those uh, three-story apartment buildings that they call three-deckers here in Massachusetts. And uh, it's a flat-top roof house, and we had a tiny little yard, so we always used to take the dog out for walks all the time. But they were wonderful dogs, and the, the dog bug bit me there. I would actually go and lay down with the dog on the floor when I was a child. I'd rather be with the dog than anyone else. So that's kind of how my story started. Okay, so you were both like lifelong animal lovers. That makes sense to me. So when did you guys meet? How did you guys meet? Well, that's an interesting story. I had a disc jockey business for a long time back in the 80s and 90s. And Carla had a friend who they were out having a drink one night. And Carla's friend was the younger sister of somebody I went to high school with. So at the place where I was working, uh, the two of them came in to sit down. And I recognized Carla's friend as someone I knew, and I came over to say hello, and she introduced me to Carla. And uh, we kind of looked at each other and kind of said, hmm, an interesting person. I think I want to get to know them a little bit. Uh, one thing led to another, and we went on a date, and we got to know each other better. And, and then I learned that she was an animal person, and she learned that I was an animal person. And then she was into horses, and I knew nothing about horses. But I was totally enthralled with the idea of learning more. Oh, that's wonderful. So I have to ask Carla, which came first, Wayne or Paddington, your horse? So Paddington was my graduation present from high school. That's how he came into my life in 1986. And he was three years old when we first bought him. Before Paddington, I had had another horse that we had done some horse shows with. And we got Paddington and we moved up another level and started to do all Morgan horse shows all around the New England area. And so Morgan horse, I guess that's a specific breed of horse. Pretend I don't know anything about horses. 
Yes. Yes. They, the Morgan horse originated in Vermont, and they were at that time more of a working breed of horse that they used them for. But then as time went on, they became more for show. And I have the photos that you sent, and we'll be sharing them online with the episode also. And he is just a beautiful horse. I mean, this beautiful, deep, dark brown. I mean, he is just a gorgeous, gorgeous horse. Yeah, he was he was awesome. We used to say he was three years old. And, you know, when you buy a young horse, most of them aren't as calm as he was. And we used to always say that it was almost like he had been here before and seen everything. So nothing bothered him. It was like he had already done it. The you know, Morgan horses are, uh, are very, very common around in the New England area. Uh, Carlos said his work horses. For a long time, they, they have a kind of a shorter body in comparison to other horses. They're not super tall. So they're a little bit on the compact side. So you might classify them as just a medium-sized horse. And here in New England, a lot of people use them to pull their carriages around or their wagons to to go places. So if you lived in the city of Boston in the late 1800s, you'd see a lot of the, the cabs, the handsome cabs, would use a Morgan as a pull horse. And um, they were, they, some horses, like you've heard of uh, horse racing, they, those are thoroughbreds. Those horses are very tall, they're very thin legs. But a paddockin as a Morgan was a, like kind of the epitome of a Morgan horse. Little on the shorter side than most, but he was had all of the confirmation, all the the, uh, the classic lines. They are very upheaded, as opposed to having their head forward on their shoulder where they would lean down to the ground. So think of a horse very upheaded, you know, very high up, very proud looking. Yeah, all I know is that he's just a really gorgeous horse. <laughs> yes, he was. So, okay, so now you guys, you're married, you have this wonderful property that you live on, you have Paddington, the horse, and so how does Zurich then come into your life? Well, before Zurich, we had a yellow lab that lived to be 14 and a half. After he passed away, we started to notice Greater Swiss Mountain Dogs from being like on the Westminster Dog Show, on just looking them up in different things, and then... One day, Wayne was at work, and I was looking on the computer and looking up different breeders, and we happened to, I happened to come across a breeder in Oklahoma, and it was the picture of Zurich. And when our lab had died, I, we, you know, were devastated, and we didn't think we could get another dog. So it had been probably about a year, and we just couldn't think of anything. We couldn't think of another dog. And when we saw Zurich's picture, it was... We knew we had to have him, and I immediately called the breeder, and his name, his litter name was Hector. That's what they called him, and when I said that we're interested in him, she said, oh, everybody's interested in Hector. I'll have to let you know, and I hung up, and I was, like, so disappointed because he was the first one that really made us excited, and within an hour later, she called me back, and she said, he's yours if you want him. So we made a deposit, and he flew on the airplane to Boston, and we picked him up at Logan Airport. Scaling over a long distance, we were a little apprehensive about that, worried whether or not it was a good idea to, to, to pick out a dog that way. Never done it before like that. But uh, in this particular case, uh, she even sent us a little video of 
sorry, out in the field. They raise cattle, and the, the you could hear the cattle in the background moving away, and him just standing there in this little patch of grass, looking at the camera. He just looked like a real tough guy. We just had to have him. He came the day after the plane crashed in the Hudson River in New York. Oh, wow. You mean like with Captain Sully? Yes. And we never thought of it, really, of the dog flying on a plane to be transported to his next home or whatever. And I can remember my sister calling us that day that the plane crashed, saying, hoping that it wasn't Zurich on that plane. A funny story when we picked him up the day we picked him up at the airport. We traveled into the city. Went to the airport. We had to go to a cargo terminal and to pick him up. And it was winter. It's snow on the ground. It's a cold day, very cold day, as a matter of fact. And Carlo was really worried that him coming from Oklahoma, that it would be a, a stark transition from the weather he had to the weather he's getting. So she bought him a little bomber jacket to put on him, a little furry collar. And uh, we have a blurry little picture of him from our old style cell phone that we put. Uh, her, her picking him up and bringing him home that room. He was so tiny at the time. It was just amazing. But he got in the truck with us, and he sat right on the console between us the whole trip home. Well, that just sounds adorable. And so what year was it then that he joined your family? This was 2009, January. And so how old would he have been? Well, he was only eight weeks old at the time. And so how big was he then at eight weeks? Oh, at that point in time, Zurich would have been about maybe 13 pounds. And so then how big did he get? <laughs> he got about 10 times that much. When Zurich was uh, near, uh, near the end of his life, he had tipped the scales at about 132 pounds. That's like a whole person. <laughs> yes, is it is like person. a person. <laughs> He outweighed quite a few people, as a matter of fact. I just have to tell you, you sent me the photos. Again, we'll be sharing the photos online with the episode. But, you know, you can take a picture of your dog and you can look at the photo and see their personality. But sometimes if you're looking at a picture of someone else's dog or at a dog you've never met before, you see a dog, but it might be harder for you to, to see what their personality is. But I could see that with him. He had these beautiful, expressive, soulful eyes, and you can see, you can just see how much personality he was. You can see that he was a special, a really special guy, just from the photos. He was. And, and that's a real mark of the breed. It's funny that you thought of that word yourself, because it's a common thread around the world, their eyes, and how expressive and soulful they are. And so you had had Paddington for quite a while then before Zurich ever joined your family, right? Yes. And so had he always been attracted to other animals or friendly with other, you know, species of animals? He, well, he was around our lab. And when we, when I was a kid, we had other, we had dogs and cats. And my cousin used to keep her horse at our house and, so he had, was always around people and animals, but he never, ever had the bond that he had with Zurich, with any other animal. I don't know if it's because Zurich was a puppy when he met him. You know, he watched Zurich grow up, but it was definitely a bond that he had never had before. And so when did they then meet for the first time? I guess it was when Zurich was still a little guy. 
Yeah, we when Zurich came home, I think it was like that next day, Wayne took him out to the barn on a leash and they met each other. Paddington was in his corral and Zurich was on the outside um, with Wayne on a leash. And I think it was instant that they went nose to nose. And that was their first meeting. And every day I would have to go out to the barn, you know, multiple times a day to feed Paddington in the morning and clean his stall and then go back out at night to feed. And every time we went to the barn, Zurich was part of it. And it got to be their routine. And I think that's probably part of why that bond was so strong. Actually, there's a funny little story about that first meeting. We have a long driveway out to the main road. And I was walking down the driveway, and then there's a dirt road that we have to access over to the barn. So I'm walking along the road, and Carla's taking pictures of me and Zurich from behind. And I'm heading towards the corral. And Paddington was standing in the corral, and he's standing in the middle of the corral in the sunshine, kind of napping. So we're kind of crunching on the snow, and as we move on, he kind of opened his eyes and looked at us, and just realized it was me, because he really couldn't see Zurich. But Zurich was kind of behind the snowbank that the, uh, the plow had made with the truck. Zora could see Paddington, but Paddington wasn't moving. It wasn't until Paddington moved and Zurich leapt to the side and looked right at him. And all his little fur was up on the back of his neck because he didn't know what it was in front of him. And all of a sudden, he gave him a, a tiny little like this, a little puppy bark. Paddington just kind of looked at him and said, what is that? And I think right there was love at first sight. And I think it, yeah, the rest see, just really seems to be history at that point because all of a sudden, all that fur just lay down. He was no longer afraid. But it was just so funny to see the two of them looking at each other, staring down at each other. And so they were just friends then, right from that first day. Yes. And so you guys have an amazing Instagram account. I'll make sure to put links in the show notes. It's at Quinn Zurich Paddington. Yeah. You have so many amazing photos and videos documenting their adventures together. I know I saw one video where Zurich is like eating out of the horse's food bowl or food trough or whatever the right word for that is. They love to share food. I, they In the wintertime or any change of weather, really, we would give Paddington what they call a brand mash. So anytime we would put that down, Zurich would help himself to it, because if Paddington was eating it, it was good. Zurich would sometimes take that bucket right away from Paddington when he was eating it and drag it out onto the other side of the fence so that it would just be for himself, and I would have to bring it back in so that Paddington could continue on eating, and they would just share. They would share bran mashers. They would share grain, hay, grass. Anything that Paddington ate, Zurich was going to sample it. Yes, I saw there was a photo of them, like, grazing together in the grass. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that was a very common occurrence. To see the two of them with their, both of their heads in the same bucket was amazing. It's one thing to see a dog and a horse just together. See them sharing a meal <laughs> is amazing. And there's some great photos of them where they're, like, running together and playing together. and A constant occurrence. You know, I, I think at, at this stage, too, for um, Paddington, when Zurich came along, we didn't have as many horses on the property. We used to board other people's horses. So some of the horses would, could get along, uh, especially, you know, like a lot of times the, the female horses would be okay to get along. They could spend time in the corral together. 
But Paddington was a little different. Paddington was kind of like a little bit of a punk. He was a little bit of an instigator. So if you put him in the corral with somebody else, he would kind of like go and try to nibble on another horse or things like this. And, and you have to kind of be careful because when you're dealing with show horses, it's one thing for them to play. It's another thing for them to play with each other and then maybe cause a cut from leaning on a fence post or something like that because your horse has to look good. You can't have blemishes. But by the time Zurich came along, Paddington was long retired from shows. So by this point, he was retired, and we only had one other horse here belonging to Carl's cousin, so there's only the two of them here. And I think it was the perfect time for Paddington to develop a new relationship with another animal, and albeit a dog, um, and a puppy at that. So I think that's where it all starts. He became like the big brother all of a sudden. And I think that's what kind of led him down that road to be happy to have a dog and a pal. It really did look like they just had so much fun together. And snowstorms, I think, were their favorite. You know, now snowstorms just don't have the same meaning to us because it was like Christmas morning to those two. Zurich would run to the barn and we'd open the doors and Paddington would, would let Paddington out of the stall and they would just run around the corral together and then later in the day we would be able to run around the yard and we have a really good friend that is a photographer so all our Christmas cards are Paddington and Zurich together running in the snow together and that was their thing. And you, you picture the two of them, I mean, the, the deeper the snow, it seemed like the, the more they liked it. So typically, they'd be out, it'd be a foot of snow out there, and they would be just plowing through it, making new paths all over the place, everywhere they could go. I mean, we'd start them out in the corral, obviously, but we'd open the gates of the corral, and the two of them were good. They knew where the, the edges of the property were. They knew the tree lines were basically where the edges were, and they just stayed all with them, and they moved their way around the house, crossed it down the road, Back across, back behind the house, back around behind the barn, back in front of the barn. It was, it was comical. I mean, it was just constant entertainment for us. I know I saw one photo where it looked like Zurich, the dog, had Paddington's, the horse's lead in his mouth. Yes, that he loved to take Paddington on walks. Like if I was walking Paddington around the snow, Zurich would just come running from nowhere to grab onto the leash, the lead rope and take it out of my hand. And then they would just walk together on their own. So they were so comfortable and trustworthy to each other. That is just so adorable. (laughs) So I got to ask, did Paddington ever like step on Zurich by accident or anything like that? I guess that's what I would be concerned about. Well, actually, it's funny that you asked that question because it did happen. There was a time they were in the stall. And the stall is filled with wood, wood shavings is what we use for their bedding. So it's very soft in there. But when the horse is moving around inside the stall in the barn, uh, they can't really see things underneath their feet. So Zurich was standing kind of beside Paddington. Paddington decided to turn to the left and move. And in the process, he ended up stepping on Zurich's paw. Now, but because the bedding is so soft, he really didn't break anything and hurt him. But it was enough to cause him a little pain. And in that particular case, Zorg just hauled back, looked right in the eye, his kind of with a floppy ear, that head that he had, his ears went back, he just, as loud as he could, right in Paddington's face. Dude, you stepped on my paw. How could you do such a thing? But by the time he was done saying all of that, they were back to being best friends again. I think he realized it's just an accident. Oh my gosh, well, I'm glad it's nothing worse than that. 
I wanted to ask you, Carla, did I see that you take all of the photos for your Instagram account on your iPhone? And you're not like a professional photographer with a big fancy camera? It, it does really take good pictures. Yeah, you take amazing pictures. Yeah. I love it. I like, I mean, it's, I think I do try and do it every day. Now we have Quinn, our other Swissy, and I just feel like they're just so handsome. You have to take pictures of them. <laughs> And what did um did you start the the Instagram account when it was just Paddington and Zurich? Yes, yes, they were the ones that started it. Yeah, well, as as time went on and we ended up uh, losing the two of them, uh, we wanted to keep that account alive, and we didn't want that to be lost. So we decided to continue the account, and you just add the new dog Quinn, his name on the front end of it, and it just keeps it all alive. And so, is it okay? Are you okay if I ask about? What happened with them? Yes. Yeah. So Paddington passed away first at 36 years old. And it was in July. And it was all fine that day. Paddington and Zurich had played. It was just a great summer day. And they played a couple times during that day. And then it came time to feed Paddington his supper. So I think Wayne was working in the yard and Zurich was just outside with us. And I went out to feed Paddington and I could see him standing in his little turnout area, which at dinner time he normally did anyway, just waiting for me to come out. And as I got closer, I could tell something was off. And when I got up to him, in his nose, stuff was just pouring out of his nose. And I knew that was not right. And so we called the vet, and thankfully she's close by. And she had thought that maybe he was choking on something, which is common in a horse, and they can still breathe. It's just when they get older, maybe their teeth are worn down in the eat hay, and sometimes something might be stuck. So she came, and under examination, we realized that that's not what it was. So we decided that he probably should go to an emergency clinic, which, again, thank goodness, is only 15 minutes from our house. So we put him on the trailer and brought him to the emergency clinic, and they made him stable for the night and decided they would do some testing the next day and see how he was. Basically, I think his organs were shutting down. Uh, At first, we thought that, Paddington had had a blockage in his esophagus and that some of the material that he had eaten, hay or grass, had gotten lodged there. So the vet discovered that the blockage was beyond the stomach in the small intestine. And as a result, uh, he and horses cannot regurgitate. They can't push it back out like a human can. So the only thing you can do is give the medications to try to soften everything up and get it flowing again. Um, so that was one of the things that they, they attempted to do at the emergency clinic the next time over. In the process of doing that, they kind of noticed that Paddington had had a tick-borne disease a year before called anaplasmosis, which is similar in effect like Lyme disease, but okay. it is different. And the, But the treatments are very similar. There's antibiotics, there's antiviral treatments, things like this. And we think that that particular disease has kind of reared its ugly head again because you never really eradicate it. Basically, what you do is you kind of push it back into kind of a uh, 
uh, you suppress it. So the point that it never bothers any humans in the same way. But anyway, when his digestive tract didn't come back to normal, they had had him on like a, a liquid and uh, fluid uh, infusion of nutrients through um, IV. Now you have to try to get that digestive tract restarting again. And part of the problem was there was some damage in there. And the, uh, the doctor who was dealing with him had a hard time trying to get him back on solid food. And he believed that there was enough damage within his digestive tract from that situation a few days before that he might not be able to get it going again. And Paddington at the age of 36 would be the equivalent of you being 99 or 100. That's a high age for a, a horse. Yeah. And, um, 36 is a long time for a horse. So we're looking at an extremely senior citizen at this stage. And we knew that going to the emergency clinic that if it came down to an operation, that was not an option for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest problem with an operation, uh, the doctor said he, with his constitution, he would likely survive the operation. But the real problem was the recovery because you would have to confine the horse during the recovery. And that's a difficult thing to do because horses need to be on their feet. Uh, the way their blood flows to their feet, the way the blood flows to their body, it, they really can't like lie down in the bed and recover for a few days uh, like you or I could. Uh, they have to get up on their feet right away and try to keep a horse confined for that period of time to keep everything clean and sterile. It's almost impossible to do. He just kind of went downhill really fast. He did. Yeah, yeah. he did. Uh, and we, you know, made the decision to put him to sleep rather than have him suffer because we knew that the operation wasn't part of it. It was a really hard decision to do, to, to let him go. Because he was so tough. He was so stoic. And, I mean, even that day, we went to visit him at the emergency clinic that afternoon. And, I mean, he came right over to us and... <laughs> You know, was because he didn't look like himself, but he certainly tried to look like himself. And right. you knew that you just couldn't do that to him. Right. I mean, for for any pet owner, any animal owner, that's always one of the hardest oh, you know, decisions it's that awful. we have to make. I mean, the most important thing you have to take into account is the quality of life. What right. will it be? They they there are many things that you can do for your horse or your dog to try to keep their quality of life up. But for a horse, there's so many things that you can't do because they're so big. If a horse can't walk, that's a huge problem. If they can't be up on their feet, that's 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 a certain that's a certainty right there that you cannot change. It's it's a really hard thing to put into words. I can't describe the thoughts and the feelings other than to tell you what that was the conclusion we were able to reach. I mean it was the hardest thing we ever did. Yeah. No, I, I, when you know your animal, you're right. Like you can just, you can see it in their eyes. You can. So you, you, you know, you just, you just know. I, I don't know any other way to describe it. And you had, I mean, Carla, you had a ton of your life spent with Paddington. It was, it was a ton of my life. And I mean, I basically grew up with him and he grew up with me, you know, I mean, he was three when I got him almost four and I was 18. And, I mean, we grew up together, and we showed, and we had so many, I mean, we have so, so many memories. And to see him like that was just heartbreaking. 
And so how did Zurich take it, not having his buddy? Zurich was, again, a very stoic dog, but he was very depressed. He knew that day, I think, that when Paddington, the next day when Paddington wasn't in, you know, he watched Paddington get in the trailer to go to the emergency clinic. He was out there. He was part of the whole vet examination in the barn because something was happening to his friend. So he was out there with us that night. He watched Paddington get on the trailer to go to the emergency clinic. And when he didn't come home. Paddington had only been to the vet clinic the year before when he had first developed that anaplasmosis issue. But he came back. He wasn't gone very just a few days, and he came back, and he was his old self when he came back. But I think this time, when when we put him on the trailer, Zurich could tell. I mean, there was a there was a difference to Paddington's demeanor the whole time he was sick and getting on that trailer that last day. And and I think kind of Zurich knew, hey, this is taking too long. Something's going on. So after we had buried Paddington, you know, Zurich, his whole routine, his whole daily activity process was all upended. You know, other than me getting up to go to work at the same time every day, that was the only thing that didn't change for him. Everything else changed. Every, everything else, his, his kind of reason for being was different. And he knew he would walk out the back door and head out into the yard. And you would think that he would want to go right to the barn and do the normal routine every day. But he had already known Paddington wasn't there. And he just headed off in a completely different direction to try to occupy himself just sniffing around the edge of the woods. But it was it was a completely different dog all of a sudden. The uh, the pep in his step just wasn't there. It's funny how they know. I mean they just they just know. Yeah. And we tried, you know, I mean he loved Zurich loved to go for rides in the car and he loved his favorite place to go for a walk. So our days were that trying to make him happy. We would go for ice cream at night after dinner. We would go in the car for a ride around the block. We would go to his favorite places to walk and just to get his mind off of all that. And it did, you know, it did help him a little bit. The neighbors next door to us, they had a small dog who's an English bulldog named Scout. And Gert um, would kind of play with him a little bit, but he was kind of like a little... He was kind of like a little rascal, and Zurich was an older dog at the time. So while Zurich would spend a little time with him, it just wasn't the same as being with Paddington. Paddington and him had, had a different type of life. They would just hang out together like two old men, <laughs> just <laughs> sitting in the sun. I mean, I, I, you know, it's like the only thing missing were the rocking chairs on the front porch for the two of them to sit in. <laughs> but whatever was going on, the two of them just never strayed from each other. I love that. <laughs> And so how old was Zurich? Like, um, how many years did they have together? Uh, about 10 and a half years together. A little over 10. And then Zurich ended up getting sick a few months later, right? That's correct, yes. Um, around um, about seven months or so, actually a little less than that, uh, Zurich developed some little shoulder injury. And we're not sure exactly what it was. Soft tissue injuries are really weird because they, the x-rays never really show you anything. You just don't right. know the sore and glinting. So one of the things that we did, we have a two-story home with a bedroom for upstairs. And, you know, Zerk being a big dog, uh, if, it's, if one of his legs is not really right or his shoulder or something like that, 
uh, we don't really want her going up and down the stairs. So what right. we will do is we have a spare bedroom. We will take the mattress off the bed, and we will bring it down and put it right in the living room. And the three of us would sleep on the mattress in the living room, so he wouldn't want to come upstairs to be with us at night. Oh, my and gosh. We, we had been doing that, and we had taken some anti-inflammatory dog medication for him. And so he didn't have to take up, take the stairs, and for about a week or so, he was on that medication, and we were all just hanging out down here in the living room. And it was kind of funny. But after that... Um, and he got better. Yeah, and he got better. Yeah, he seemed to be back to his old self after about, I don't know, a little more than a week. And he was back to his old self. And things were going on. Things were going fine for a while. We got into a new routine. And, you know, typically of, of a dog, he has a certain level of resiliency. His world has changed, but he never forgot his brother. He would go out into the corral, and in the, in the on a good day, he'd just go out and lay on the spot in the corral where Adam was buried. I don't know how many times he did that, but the day after we buried him, he did that. It was kind of really was an eerie thing, but it just explained to me that how dogs know what's going on. But constantly, you know, I forget exactly how often he would do it, but he would go out there in that corral and every storm there are always branches that come off the trees and they land in the corral and we still kept everything up. I mean we didn't you know, we didn't let anything overgrow. So we would go up there and pick up the sticks and bring them over to a fire pit. And I turn around and observe he's laying there on, on top of where Patrick was buried. He must be talking to his brother. That's the only thing I can think of. Oh my gosh, that's like after that little shoulder injury about maybe two and a half, almost three months later, we noticed that something was going on with him. He was kind of slowing down all of a sudden, wasn't eating quite the same way. And he had, seemed to put on a couple of extra pounds. He was probably an extra like five or six pounds heavier than he was. And at first I kind of just thought it was from him just kind of being a little bit more sedentary as he's gotten older now. He's, he's 10 and a half now, he's getting closer to 11. and so after his shoulder injury and everything, we were pretty much back on track, and he was fine. And then one day, again, it was almost the same as Paddington, the day that everything changed. We had a great day. I think we went for a walk on the beach, and it was fine. And we came home, and that night Wayne was playing with him in the living room. And when they were playing, he all of a sudden went to go lay down on his bed, but then jumped right back up like something bit him <laughs> and I'm like that's weird and he just couldn't get comfortable he would he just there was something was not right and so we thought we took him outside for a little bit walked him around that didn't help so we brought him in we thought we need to get him we need to go to the emergency room so we thought maybe he had bloat, like in big dogs can get bloat after they mm-hmm. play so we thought maybe this is what bloat is so we called up the emergency room ahead and said, we think, you know, you might want to get ready. We're bringing him in. We think he might have bloat. So they were prepared for us and came right out to the car and they brought him in. And within, I don't know, five minutes, they came back out and they said, it's not bloat, but it is cancer. He has a tumor on his spleen, liver, and kidney. And you can him to sleep tonight if you want to and of course we weren't going to do that we were going to see if we could give him a chance and they did um 
so they said, told us to go home that night, and then they would do some more testing in the morning. So that morning, I had talked to the vet, and with Swiss Mountain Dogs, their spleens are a huge concern with them. They can twist or anything. They just are very sensitive, and the spleen is usually the number one reason for them being uncomfortable. And a lot of the times they have them removed and they're fine. So that was always, that was in the back of our head when they, when, even though she said they thought he had cancer and all of that, we just knew that maybe the spleen was the issue. So the next day I just said to them, can you take his spleen out? And even though, and she said, well, it has, we're pretty sure it's cancer, but we'll test it. If it's not cancerous, we will take it out. If it is, it's already spread. To other places. So when they did the quick test on the spleen, it came back as not cancer. Yeah, they, they actually there was there was a bachelor on on the on the spleen, and their initial test was technically inconclusive, which usually means it's not cancer. But then they sent the sample out to a more intensive testing facility, and that was not going to come back for a few days. So we had opted to just go on the option that it was just a benign tumor. And they sent both of those samples out for testing, and those results were not going to come back for a couple of days. So we took the option to say, well, we're just going to go on the on the idea that we can deal with this. So we told them to go ahead, perform the operation, remove his spleen, remove that mass. And, um, you know, he was weakened from that when we picked him up. He was still groggy from the anesthesia. He was still he was weakened just from the whole trauma of having surgery. And... He, we brought him home, and again, we went right back to the old mattress on the living room floor routine, so he wouldn't be doing any stairs. We didn't <laughs> want him to uh, open up his incisions, so we made sure that we took the, there's about four steps to go out the back door. We go out on the deck, and then four steps down the ground. We handled it very gingerly. We made sure we controlled his motions as much as we could to go into the bathroom. He was He was recovering nicely, actually. And he was getting up and getting down off his, on, off his feet from the bed. His little mattress down here pretty well, uh, right up until about a, a little more than seven or eight days after the operation. All of a sudden, he took a turn for the worse out of nowhere. And I had left for work early that morning and taken him out to the bathroom. I had left for work early. I mean, really early. We're talking like 430 in the morning. And Carla was here in the living with him. And all of a sudden, I was probably gone maybe a half an hour. Not even. I think probably 10 minutes. And I noticed, again, a weird look. That look that you just know is not good. And I looked at his gums, and they were ghostly white, like like paper white, which is mm -hmm. not good. So, And the vet had said that he could get a blood clot just from the surgery or from any of it. So 4.30 in the morning, it was Easter morning at 4.30. Wayne had left for work. We have an in-law apartment off of our house, which my mother lives on. So she came over. So it was just the two of us trying. And I thought, no big deal. We'll put him in the car and we'll head up to the emergency room. By the time we got tried to get him in the car, he was already he was awake, but it was not him. He was not there. And he was 133 pounds. So my mother and I could not lift him into my car by ourselves. So I had to call our neighbor 
at 4.30 in the morning, and thank mm-hmm. God they answered. And they were up. I don't even think in a second they were here at the door. That's a good so neighbor. They're awesome. And I pulled my car right up onto my uh, front lawn, opened the door, and the three of us, my mother, well, four of us, my mother, me, and our neighbor, and her husband put Zurich on a sheet, and we carried him out to the back of my car and put him in. And we flew up to the emergency room. And again, I had called ahead. They knew we were coming. And we got him in there. Wayne was on his way to meet us there. But when we were waiting, when my mother and I were waiting, the nurse came back and said that we needed to go back there and make a decision because he was crashing. So we had to decide. Right. And again, you know, you're not going to let them suffer at 10 and a half years old and the and that same morning the results came back and it was cancer so there really was no again he was telling us just like Paddington did right I remember my husband and I had our old I always call them our old gals now they were Lucy and Kalua. they were both about the same age and and Kalua passed in March of 2015, and then Lucy passed in October of 2015. And I remember, you know, saying to my husband, you know, that was a really good chapter. I wasn't ready for that chapter to end, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I think we still feel that way, that it was, I think, something that we will never, ever experience again. I just, I don't think, I think you get one shot at that special experience. It's funny how unique our pets have been, especially for Carla and I as adults compared to as children. Carla had a lot of different dogs in her home growing up, different breeds. My family, we had collies. And then when we got Zurich, Zurich was a different dog. Zurich was not a a trick performer. He's not, he had more of a, he had more of a, a punky personality. He was, I'll go along with you only this far. And it was just so funny. Um, Swissies, I think in general, like this. It's like you call them to come over and they look at you and they're going, hmm, do I really want to come over and see you? And then after a few seconds, they think about it. And then they finally make a decision. You're not going to get an instantaneous response from them all the time. They are (laughs) so... They're stubborn. I, I can't think of it anyway. They have this little stubborn streak. Is I'm going to do things my way. So that when I finally come and do something for you that you told me to do, I'm going to make, let you know now it's my idea. <laughs> <laughs> and Zurich was so much like that. We have so many photographs of him that he looks at you with this little sideways glance going, hmm, let me think about that. Do I really want to do that for you? But in the end, he, he's just a great dog. Such a different personality. Uh, a different way of speaking to you. And we all think of how our dogs talk to us. And he just had a totally different way of having a conversation with you. It was, it's just so hard to, to transition from one animal to the next. I mean, it, it just it breaks our heart that their lives are so short in comparison to our own. You, all, you always wish that your, your, your dog would live as long as you do, or your right. horse for that matter. Right. And, uh, but they don't. We have, you have to deal with that. And But the most important thing I think we can do, and we, we always will do, no matter what we do with having pets, is that we will give them the best life possible. Especially when they when they come to the conclusion that you realize that they pick you out so that you pick them out. 
Right. I knew that you guys now have Quinn. Uh, how much time did it, it take before you were ready to bring a new guy into the mix? Well, that's a really interesting story, too, as well, because Zurich passed away in April of 2019. And by around August of 2019, one of Carla's friends that we knew, who we had originally met online, and she had a dog named Tucker. Tucker is a Swiss Mountain dog. And her dog, Tucker, had already sized a litter of puppies. But Cheryl, her friend, who knew Carla, knew how depressed both Carla and I were. We were just down in the dumps through us. But, you know, Cheryl was very supportive, and a lot of our friends were very supportive. I mean, for us, we don't have any children, so our, our pets are our children. So in, in doing so, Cheryl says, well, Tucker just sized another litter. And the mother is in a town called Townsend, Mass, about, you know, two, maybe an hour and a half, two hours from where we live. We want you to just come up and see the puppies. We were a little reluctant because we didn't think we were ready. Charles says, I understand if you're not ready, but just come up for the day. And they're in a Princeton area. You can just sit down and just play with them and just have a joyful day. So we decided to go up there and it was mid-August. And when we arrived, there was a litter of puppies there. They were five weeks old. And there were 11 of them. Let me say that again. 11 puppies. <laughs> all from the same litter. I've never seen a litter that large in my life. And there were seven males and four females. And they were just, all of them stunning. They were just so beautiful. I mean, the epitome of what a Swiss mountain dog. I mean, you look at the breed standard in the encyclopedia, and there's their picture. And while we were there, um, they were all in a little cordon off area, so we went and sat down, and they were climbing all over us with puppies to do. And we saw some of them, and Cheryl says, you know, you don't have to make a decision here today, but one of these will be reserved for you, whichever one you choose. So at your choosing, there'll be one here left for you. So that day, we had a really great day. You forgot the best part. Oh, yeah, the best When we part. went to look at the litter, there was the 11 of them. So we climbed into the fence off area with them. But they all came quickly to say hi to us. But Quinn was the only one that stayed with us. He came up and said hi to us and never left our side. Oh. So we stopped on the way home from dinner. And we decided that, talked about it and thought, maybe we can do it. And then we went home. And talked to Cheryl, and she said, come back in two weeks. When they're a little bit older, you can visit again. We went back two weeks later, went into the pen with all 11. Quinn, again, was the only one that came to our side and stayed with us the whole day. And mind you that when this happened, I, I, I had forgotten to say this earlier, that there were other people there looking at us. We weren't the only ones there. There was probably four other families there just hanging around, they had their children with them. There was quite a, a lot of activity there. And and Quinn was following me around, not just following me, but chasing me, literally chasing me through the <laughs> little area. I would start to run, and all the puppies would kind of run after me a little bit, and then all of a sudden, they would all divert off something that caught their attention, and Quinn was right on my heels the entire time. And so after we drove home, we conversed with Cheryl, and she said, we'll come back in two weeks. And at this point in time, Quinn would be seven weeks old. So we came back, and I figured, you know, we're talking about the life cycle of a puppy. So two weeks later is a long time for a puppy. Well, wouldn't you know it when we got there? He remembered us, and he came running right over. 
and there were other people there too that day. And so that's, we kind of knew that if he kept coming back to us, that we didn't have to pick out a puppy. He just picked us out. <laughs> it's so true. And we have him here now. He's sleeping with us right by, by our feet, right as we speak. And he's very active on Instagram too. He is. He loves to have his picture taken and his thing is running. He will just run and run and run. He's very outdoorsy and active. He's just a bundle of energy. Uh, but not in a bad way. No, no, not in a bad way. I mean, he's only, he's a year and a half, so he's still very puppy. You know, he still thinks he's a puppy. He does indeed. And, and of course, he, even though he's the same breed as Zurich was, there are a lot of similarities there, but there's some, some stark differences, too. We had put in a pool uh, a couple of years before we got there, and we have regular stairs that you can want to walk down into the pool. And Zurich took the walking into those stairs and just came into the pool. But if I jumped into the pool, he would jump in after me. If I went over to the diving board and stepped up on the diving board, he would run over to the side of the pool and watch me like a hawk. And he would prepare. He'd put his paws on the very edge of the pool. And he would wait till I got to the edge of the diving board. And as soon as I would leap into the pool, he would leap at exactly the same time. <laughs> we actually have a photograph of the two of us leaping into the pool simultaneously. Oh, I love it. But now that we have Quinn, totally different dog. Not going to go in the pool. <laughs> uh, he, hasn't, he hasn't gotten past that, that thought process yet. I think he's got a little bit of a phobia of that deeper water. And oh, my dogs look at water like it's the devil or something. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I don't know if he'll change. He may never change. But there are things that he was afraid of before as a puppy growing up uh, that he's no longer afraid of. So things can change. Zurich, on the other hand, though, he was Mr. Stoic from day one. He was afraid of nothing, uh, literally nothing. Yeah, it's just always so interesting how they all have such different personalities. Indeed. And so you guys have mentioned to me that you have this idea to do a children's book to show Haddington and Zurich's relationship, and I just love that idea so much. I would love to be able to have a children's book of them just because their stories are just so special. And I, any way that we can share their story, I think, would be great. <laughs> yeah, we, we, were, we were dreaming up ways to do this. We did come up with a title. <laughs> oh, what's the title? We want to call it The Adventures of P and Z, because that's what we used to call Paddock Mr. P. And we used to call Zurich Heavy Z. That was their kind of nickname. <laughs> Oh, I love that. So when we would see the two of them together out in the corral or running around, they'd go, there we go, the adventures of C and Z. <laughs> so, yeah, that's our goal, is to be able to somehow find somebody to help us write a story, a book about them. Well, let's put it out there now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Put it out in the universe, as they say. Because I had this whole little plot in my head, because, you know, if it's a children's book, it has to teach you something. So in, in my mind, it's, like, all about having, like, friends of all different, like, shapes and sizes, and your friends don't have to look like you. Right. I had a whole thing going. <laughs> I, I think that's a fantastic idea, and I think it would be so fitting. Carla and Wayne, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us, and even the, even the sad parts, because I guess I always feel like it's really important to talk about those, because because everybody's gone through those hard times too. And I guess that, you know, 
that's always been sort of one of my goals of the podcast is that it's okay to talk about the, those hard times and those sad times too. And yeah, and I think if it helps, I think it helps people to be able to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, just everybody can you know can can relate to that. Although not everybody can relate to having a horse and a dog that are best friends. And I just <laughs> love that story so much. And the photos, oh my gosh, everybody! I'm going to post the photos on Facebook and on Instagram, and and I hope everybody goes and checks checks these out because they're just they're so amazing and you can you can see the joy like there's one where they're like running side by side in the grass and it's like you can just see the joy in their faces and they did they had a great time and again just a testament to your photography also because if i would try to take that it just would have been a big blur (laughs) (laughs) thank you all right. Well, I'll make sure to post links to everything in the show notes and we will look for you on Instagram too. And thank you guys so much. Thank you. So welcome. Have you ever seen this quote shared online? Dogs come into our lives to teach us about love. They depart to teach us about loss. A new dog never replaces an old dog. It merely expands the heart. Or how about this one? It came to me that every time I lose a dog, they take a piece of my heart with them. And every new dog who comes into my life gives me a piece of their heart. If I live long enough, all of the components of my heart will be dog, and I will become as generous and loving as they are. I think in the case of Carla and Wayne, we could add horse to those also. I have so much gratitude to Carla and Wayne for sharing their story with us so open and honestly. Our animals can be such a a marker for different times in our life and experiences in our life and our, our memories and our lives are so intertwined with them. And I can remember, and I even mentioned this during the interview to Carla and Wayne, when, when my husband and I lost Lucy and Kalua both within a few months of each other, I felt like I had lost my family. They had been such a part of our lives for over 10 years, and we had this new dog, Penny, that had just come into our lives, and and she kind of felt like this stranger, and it was a weird transition for a few months, and of course now Penny is like my total BFF, and she is my girl 100%. And we all just deal with our grief and our mourning in such different ways, and I find it interesting to observe those, and Obviously, there's no real right and wrong ways. Some people go turn around and write back, adopt a new animal right away, and other people need a long time before they could even think about having an animal in their house again. And sometimes when we're mourning a loss, not only are we mourning the loss of the animal or even the person, the being, but we're sort of mourning the loss of a certain time in our lives or the fact that something that really made us happy will never quite be that same way again and and then we wonder will we ever be able to be happy again and we will it'll just be different and sometimes it almost feels like we lose part of our identity if we were a dog mom or if it's that we were a daughter or a sister or a brother or a wife and now without this person or this animal in our lives who are we and what do we do with ourselves 
And while I don't have the answers, and if you've listened to the first episode of this podcast where I've shared some of my story, you know that I'm a huge believer in therapy (laughs) to help figure out these things. But it's totally normal to have these feelings and to think these things. And I always hope that by talking about it and putting it out there in the open, it'll help take away any shame that someone might have around these kinds of thoughts and feelings. One of the things I loved about Carla and Wayne's story is how they want to continue to honor Paddington and Zurich's memory by creating a children's book around it. So if you're listening and you have any resources or ideas about how you could help them bring this to fruition, please contact them on Instagram at Quinn Zurich Paddington, and I'll have links in the show notes also. It really speaks to my heart since I created this podcast to honor Lucy, who the dog who made me fall in love with dogs and kind of changed my whole life. And of course, Lucy is the Believe in Dog podcast logo mascot also. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Make sure you follow Carlo Wayne and Quinn's journey on Instagram at Quinn Zurich Paddington. And I'll be sharing lots of photos from Carla and Wayne on the Believe in Dog podcast Facebook and Instagram pages. You can always find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast and on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores. I also wanted to take a moment to thank October Eve for the five-star podcast review on Apple Podcasts. October Eve says, Dogalicious. Aaron's podcast is a great blend of the joy of loving a dog and information, education, and resources on being a good dog mom or dog dad. She's an excellent storyteller and a balanced and informed educator, respectful of the variety of opinions on all areas of caring for dogs, and her love of dogs shines through. So thank you so much for that review. Remember that you can leave your five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Mm-hmm.